Our guest tonight is from New York City, USA, Douglas Robbins. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts either through their industry insights and information or simply learning from them. And today, Douglas Robbins, writer, thinker, seeker, podcast host, host and several things more. And we'll be talking about not just writing, obviously writing, but about so many things like interconnectedness, success in life, writing, and much, much more. Welcome to the show, Douglas. Thank you, sir. How are you today? Thank you for having I'm me. I'm good. I'm good. Glad to have you. In fact, it's a very, very, uh, what do you call, big pleasure for me to have have a, have a person like you. Mostly it's about marketing, about other stuff, but talking about these things is totally different, soul-satisfying. Sounds great. Okay. Okay. So, Douglas, straight way to the question about, you know, what you talk about interconnectedness. It is something which we Indians talk about a lot. What does interconnectedness mean to you exactly? Well, it's a great question. And I think a lot of it is comes back to where we grew up culturally. Um, you know, the U.S. is probably a little bit more of isolationist, um, people kind of on their own, rugged individuality. And we're not really taught as much outside of the family unit about community and interconnectedness and helping each other. And sure, you know, be kind to an old lady crossing the street, but that's not really part of our culture. It's more of that dog eat dog world kind of thing. Uh, fight tooth and nail and everyone's your, your competition and but that's not really joy that isn't love that isn't interconnectedness that isn't how we all move forward and so it's always uh, you know looking at someone else and saying well what do they have that I want or what do I have that they're trying to take from me uh, and this is a very self-centered ideology and ultimately leaves us all empty so the interconnectedness is we all have similarities. You're in India, I'm in New York, but we all care about similar things, family, love, joy, laughter, uh, the earth, going out into the sun. So we all share this, uh, and yet it's sort of pushed aside for consumerism or external expectations that ultimately don't fulfill you. You can get a brand new car and yay, but that doesn't fill you inside. And only the interconnectedness, the love, the joy, self-expression, these are the things, that's the beauty that often gets hidden under the soil of consumerism and demand and external uh, resources. Right. So does soul anywhere come in in, in in this interconnected explanation of or thinking of yours? Say again? Soul, soul. Can interconnection of souls, uh, do you also uh, want to talk about that? Does it figure in, the, in this, your definition of interconnectedness? Yes. I mean, that's really the key to all of it, right, is the soul of the person. You know, if we didn't have souls, if we didn't have the spirit, if we weren't part of the divine consciousness, well, we'd simply be worker ants kind of moving around and buying things and working and procreating. There'd be no internal connectedness. There'd be no higher self. There'd be no um, aspirations. It would simply just be going day to day and going about our business, um, war and eating and procreating. Uh, but the soul, that's where the interconnectedness is, right? That's where that beauty is, that harmony. Uh, I actually did a recent podcast that, and I looked up the DNA of animals. And we right. share DNA with trees, uh, 50%, we, something like dolphins, 80%. Uh, all, every animal on the planet, even slugs and worms, we share DNA with. So we kind of disassociate ourselves from this, but we are all interconnected. We all rely on each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we kind of peel back the ego and the ego mind and 
sort of the 20th century thinking of, like I said, consumerism, and you get back to the essence of who we are, right? That's where the love is, and that's where that, that beauty is. And it's a very strange thing today. I'm sure you're aware that, that Russia is bombing the Ukraine. Yes, 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 absolutely. Really horrible, and it's all about power and ego and control. No love. And But it's like you're bombing your cousins, you're bombing your relatives. You know, we are all, again interrelated we all have a, a purpose we all have a universal consciousness god consciousness whatever you want to refer to it as that we are here to fulfill and express ourselves and by doing that we can help others fulfill their intention as well right right oh, one big challenge you know with uh, what you call interconnectedness and thinking about other human beings and you know talking about consumeristic culture is how do you uh, still succeed what is success uh, uh, for to you how do you define it and how do you see success vis-a-vis -vis interconnectedness or consumerist culture as such well it's a curious thing right because it's often we're taught get mine i gotta yeah. get mine right um at any cost right uh, it doesn't matter who we hurt. I'm getting mine. Uh, and, and that's really damaging because even if you get yours, uh, you're probably empty. Plenty of billionaires who are depressed and suicidal. Plenty of successful people who are depressed and suicidal. So that success does not necessarily attribute to deep satisfaction, deep joy. So when, for instance, I write, I wrote this book called Love in a Dying Town recently. Yeah, and it was yeah, really yeah. about honoring people, honoring the struggle, honoring. Uh, so it's about a, a single father trying to raise a single a daughter in a dying factory town. Not glamorous. He's not a movie star, but he's a part of me. He's a part of everyone struggle, fighting for, for what's right in his life, trying to live an honorable life. And that's success to me. When, when you can fulfill an expression when you can fulfill love and you can lift someone else up we don't have to tear someone down to lift ourselves up and that's often what we're sort of taught right if that guy's winning well i can't win but that's not true i mean obviously in sports uh that's a little different but in life there's plenty of room at the top so to speak um and my writing success, for instance, is not at the loss of someone else's. It's not about me harming someone. Uh, mm -hmm. And there are plenty of people who, as I'm sure you know, in your own family or friend set, that don't understand when you're moving forward, when you're kind of, the, you're not the person you were 20 years ago, for instance, well, you've really changed. And they don't like that because they're stuck. They're in that same place. Mm. So in a sense, they're trying to keep you where they are, where they, how they know you. But if you're the same person you were 20 years ago, there's a problem. You should be changing. You should be evolving. You should be healing. You should be honoring yourself. And by honoring yourself, you honor others. Right, right. Uh, talk, talking about your uh, book, Doug, Love in a Dying Town, you know, amidst all your life you have seen in the US and still you are able to, you know, so much of consumerism around and, and still you have been able to think about a theme called a single father raising his daughter, you know, in a, in a factory town and that that in a factory town and still telling her, you know, the difference between right and wrong. And, you know, and, and even if their world is crumbling down, you know, uh, around them, uh, he is teaching them the right thing to do. That's what all People should do, uh, whoever they meet, that's what they should teach. But unfortunately, it's not happening. How did you get the idea of such a great idea, actually? Well, that's very kind of you. Um, you know, I have worked in factory towns. I have been there. Uh, and it's a tough life. It's a tough life to eke out. Um, the pay is not good. You know, you're on your feet uh, day and night. 
it, it's a struggle just to make it through the day. I um, married a woman who had children from a pre previous marriage. And I was so close with the daughter, who's my daughter, she's adopted now. Um, and I thought, like, how would this child, this little precious angel, this precious innocent little spirit, be in that type of setting? Who would I be in that type of setting? And, and I think it had started, the, the, um, the seed for the idea came from Flint, Michigan, which is an old uh, automobile factory town. And a number of years ago, and it's still going on, they had a real issue with a water crisis. Uh, a lot of the water was polluted. And it just got me thinking, like, you know, people still have to live there. They're still trying to thrive. They're still trying to raise families and, and, and again, interact and go to the store and, and take care, you know, of, of the neighbors. And how would it be to, to live there? How would it be to live in that setting, trying to put food on the table and raise a child and raise a child where there are foreclosures, houses being boarded up, uh, people moving, migrating out of the area and exodus? How would that look to a child? And, and so it could be very damaging, right? You know, a child is, uh, absorbs everything like a sponge. So it could be, oh, my God, the world is horrible and there's no hope. Right? Without hope, we're lost. Yes. And so the father sacrifices himself quite often. He has dreams that he wants to leave the town and be an architect and you know, New York City or in Boston or some big city, but he can't. He's kind of tethered there and trapped there. Um, and there's a kind of a crazy ex-wife who, who, again, just wants champagne taste with, with on a beer budget and just wants all these fancy things but does nothing to help herself. So his job in his mind at all costs, I must protect this child and show her light and show her right from wrong. And by doing so, she's creating, he's creating a strong teen and ultimately a strong adult who goes into the world with love in her heart, with kindness, with intelligence, but also understanding what struggle is. And so it's sort of a town of interconnectedness. It is a town that people have to rely on each other because you can't be isolated in that type of town and make it through. So it was really just, how would I raise this daughter? How would you know anyone make it through in that type of setting? And again, interconnectedness, kindness, helping each other out. So, so Douglas, in a town like that, with a setting like that, and everything crumbling around, how does a father like that tell to a daughter like that about what success exactly is and what will the daughter learn? Well, it's a great question because she learns success through the eyes of her father. And the success isn't, and also he has the illusion that six, only his success is being an architect, right? But he learns along the way that there are other successes and a much broader and deeper success. Uh, and that is love, compassion, taking care of each other. So for instance, he's handy around the house because you have to be when you're in that setting, you can't hire people. You don't have the money for it. So you, you by by demand, you are forced into being um, contracting and doing all sorts of work around the house. So he starts doing work around the house. And at some point in the story, she says, uh, hey, daddy, my teacher needs some help at her house. And so it becomes that he doesn't become an architect, but he becomes a contractor helping people, he, she shows him uh, or he shows her success and he meets another woman. There is a bit of a love story who also is a single uh, mother with a child, happens to be the daughter's best friend um, and shows success in those ways. 
So the success isn't so much external, like we were speaking about earlier, having the car and the fancy yeah. house. That's all nice. But the success is how you treat others, how you how you um, demonstrate yourself in the world, how you handle certain crises or situations. That's where success is. That's where the essence of our best selves lay. Not in, oh, I have a million dollars or I have a fancy uh, you know, Lamborghini in my driveway. That's an illusion, right? That doesn't actually mean success as far as fulfillment. Fulfillment is very different than I have a Lamborghini, but I have debt up to my ears. That's not success. I mean, you might have that and success, but we look at it in a very strange manner. We're, we're taught, especially in the U.S., I don't know, you know so much in India, but consumerism, right? It's sort of a religion in America. Buy this, go to college, get debt, buy a house, have cars, have this, have that. And, and that's fine. But that's why everyone's coming out of college in debt. That's why it's a debtor nation. Everyone has debt. Um, and, and people then become trapped in this consumer world. And then, well, how do you fulfill yourself when you're busy eight, 10 hours a day going to, to a job, maybe commuting an hour plus a day? That's why most people feel trapped or many people feel trapped in jobs they don't want to be at. Uh, maybe not making enough money to free themselves. Um, so uh, really it comes back to this essence, this fulfillment. Um, I, I did a recent show on the difference between IQ, the intelligent quotient, and EQ, the uh, emotional quotient. Right. And really it's about the emotional quotient, how we navigate life. It's not, oh, I know... Um, yeah. statistics or I know World War II information, that's good, that's in, information, but that doesn't help you navigate life or become an adult, a, a fulfilling, a fulfilled adult. Um, so that's really what I'm always trying to get at is this deeper sense that we're kind of shortchanging ourselves, even in education. Again, it's mostly about regurgitative, uh, regurgitative information, math, science, whatever it might be, all good. Right rounds us out but it's not teaching us how to become an enriched adult because that's ultimately what school should be providing uh how to handle money and, and investments Absolutely. and everything else we're not taught these things and that's a, a big disservice to our children right right uh doug uh, coming back to the story itself love in a dying town uh you see the father is trying to do something good for the daughter Yes. Whereas you have created a character uh, of a wife who loves wine. And being so close to that whole setting, you know, I'm talking about the larger picture because I've seen several cases, so many of them, that being in the finest of surroundings among the best of men or the best of women, there is a or a group of people who still don't get it. I, maybe it's the IQ, but in your case, if it's the wine-loving woman, her responsibility is towards her child, but the father understands it, but she is not able to comprehend that. Why is that happening? And, and if you take it a larger context, how in the society, like a person like you who is so concerned about it, even I'm concerned, Maybe I'll not be able to. I'm not as a great writer like you are, you know. Uh, but you are able to express it. So many are not able to express that the way they are. But also we got to we got so many so-called, if, if you permit me, so many bad apples around. Uh, and staying around so many good apples. How does that happen? I would like to understand from your, you know, story itself. So the, the wife... Uh, Megan is a very damaged person. She came into the relationship very damaged. The child had been unplanned. And, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Uh, you bring your baggage with you. You bring your beliefs and your emotional traumas with you. Um, and so she had a, a, 
was sort of sexually abused as a child. She was belittled as a child. And similar to how her father treated her mother, she was sort of part of the background uh, and not really honored and loved. So there's a line in the story, something along the lines of, he had, he worked all day and night, you know, it was hard in the factory. He didn't also have love to give. <laughs> you know, he was worn down himself, embittered, similar, just feeling trapped. And so she grew up with a very twisted sense of herself that her body was to be used. Men wanted her because they wanted her body. They didn't love her. And so she couldn't love in that way. She couldn't trust love. It was too scary. She could have intercourse with men. She could get drunk with men. But there was a line she couldn't really cross, and that was trusting love or being vulnerable. Um, so she was trapped in that mindset, in that belief system. And that was something that she had developed from a childhood into adulthood. And she did not know how to heal it. She didn't know where to heal it or even if it needed healing. This was her reality. This was who she was. And nothing was going to touch it because it was too much pain. I'm sure you've met people who are trapped and do not want to touch that pain. They do not or want they, to heal that pain. Right. In, in, in fact, I want to understand from your perspective of your story itself that yeah. did you try to heal the uh, the lady in the book or it, it, i want to understand that do they not get it or do yeah. they not or, or they do they know it or they don't know it well let me answer in a couple of ways so um so as she developed so because she didn't know how to heal or be vulnerable in love she once again looked to the externals to satisfy okay. her and that's why she was all about you don't make enough money i deserve better i want a fancy kitchen i want a new car because thinking those sort of uh, ornaments hanging from her life are going to satisfy or heal those places but they don't heal those places, right? They're, they're momentary kind of fixes. Like when we're, when we're eating for comfort, we put some food in there, stimulating that emotional place, but it doesn't actually heal that place. So she was looking to the external to satisfy her. But to get back to your question, she knew she was damaged. She knew she was in pain, but it was too scary of a place to enter therefore she couldn't like she tried a little bit she wanted to believe in the love she wanted to trust the love but ultimately the damage and the pain and that negative voice that we all carry always chattering at us was okay. too much for her to overcome and so eventually it really undermined her and she had to leave because it was too much pain to be with a child who wouldn't sort of follow her every whim and with a husband who demanded more of her. And so she wasn't demanding of herself. She was drinking and kind of escaping, but she didn't know how to heal. And I think that's a lot of things to get back to the interconnectedness. Yes. We yes. often feel very isolated. Right, right. right. And when you feel isolated, you feel like, well, what's the point? How am I supposed to hear? How am I supposed to move forward? I'm all alone. Right. And that's a terrible place to be. I've been there. Depression. It's awful. Yes. But, yes. And that's because our culture really is to blame. I mean, you can, you know, the family is, is a unit, but you, you, you're beyond the family. You're beyond that. You have to live in the world. And it's just not designed that way. I'm going to give you one great example. Um, there was an indigenous uh, uh, culture, tribal community, maybe in Africa or, or in uh, uh, South America, and had not had a lot of contact with the outside world. And there were children playing, and all the children kept sharing. 
even the older kids who were faster and stronger right. kept sharing with the younger kids. And the reporter's like, well, what are you doing? You you won the game. No, but but this little child wouldn't get any. So he said, look, let, let's play a new game. Whoever can run over here the fastest gets this candy. And there were only a few pieces of candy. So, of course, the biggest kids run over there and get the candy. And the reporter said, okay, good job. You get to keep this for yourself. And as soon as he handed it to himself, he started breaking off pieces, the kid who won, and handed it out. He said, why would you do that? You're the fastest and the strongest. He's like, right. And this little one is the weakest and the slowest. If I didn't give him anything, he wouldn't have anything. And so it was this really powerful moment that we can all have, we can all share with interconnectedness ideology. But if we all thought, oh, gimme, I'm going to go run over here and eat it and hoard it. Well, what does that do for it? Now, now it's all about selfishness. You don't even feel good about yourself when you act like that. So that's the problem is we all often, I do as well, often feel isolated, disconnection. Right. And then you right. watch, say, social media or the news, and right. that makes you feel even worse. Absolutely. And in fact... That's that's why I asked. There are so many people, whether men, women, in different settings, who are going through the same thing, and they also need help. Yeah. Many are also want to be helped. You know, they seek out help. Sometimes it leads to disastrous results, unfortunate outcomes. That should not be. And that is why I asked that it's also not only about just you know, also about interconnected connectedness. EQ as well as empathy, empathy where you know that there are there, there the society has come to a level which is not the society that you talked about that the winner shares it with the with the weakest. Yeah. There is nothing you only win because you have won, but the resources are the same, and that's that's the difference. In fact, talking from your story itself, you see. What the father was talking, teaching the, ch the child, the same should be taught by the world leaders today. Yes. And, and, and that is where the question of Ukraine, I will, will not go into the politics of it, but whatever is happening, even world organizations like the UN or the other democratic world, we are not able to stop it in a thing like in a, in a, in a time like this. We thought that World War II was, was the end of it. There will never be a war again. But here we are in, in you know, in, in this new century, staring at a conflict in, its, in a very different manner. That's how do you look at it? And you know that the way, the way as things stand today, and not the political part, of, but the humanitarian part of it. You know, from a global or macro point of view, um, Leadership is, uh, well, I can speak more to, to the U.S. leadership. Um, it's in a bad place. It, it's not in, in a good place. There's a, a lot of factions and undermining ideas. And, you know, again, the fake news culture now is really undermining. Because what it's undermining is information, is true information. So if, you know, the brain, they did a study a few years ago that, people can't really tell the difference between fake news and real news. And then they process it and interpret as fact, and that becomes their narrative. Well, that's a very dangerous place to be, obviously. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a few years yeah. ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago, what did you, you had, you know, a few television stations, you know, four or five stations, you know, before um, cable and before social media. You know, you had half a dozen places to get information from on the TV, and then you had some newspapers. Now you have thousands and thousands and thousands of places. You don't know who these people are. You know, every, anyone can get a website. Um, and so that's part of the danger. So that kind of buffers. You have the leadership up here. You have kind of the media here. And then you have a lot of the leadership taking this false narrative and running with it. I'm sure you've heard of QAnon in the U.S. and a lot of conspiracy theories and um, who won the election and all this craziness. Yes. 
Yes. And it's very damaging to the populace because the, the role of leadership, in my opinion, is to be honorable, have integrity, and provide information for the populace to, to make informed decisions for what suits their needs best, what they're interested in, what they care about, education, the environment, whatever it might be. But because you have such a, um, um, a cauldron, a chaotic cauldron of information, misinformation, and you have the 24-hour news cycle, and there's so much drama now, you can't just hear information, right? It's always drama, the nth degree of drama. Uh, and this is a real disservice, and it's really undermining our democracy. Um, and it's, it's fractioning sections of political parties um, and misinforming people as far as, well, for instance, climate change, right? Uh, a lot of people, nah, I don't believe it. I don't believe in climate change. It's like, well, look around. I mean, use your eyes, use your head. Absolutely. Um, you know, so it, it's kind of hard to understand some of this. And some people, I, I don't know about you, but with the social media, with the fake news, I mean, there are cousins I can't even talk to anymore because they're so entrenched in crazy conspiracies that you can't even have a conversation like in reality any longer with a lot of people. So, but leadership it's almost a misnomer calling many of these people leaders. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because I don't know what they're leading exactly. Um, they're not necessarily leading us forward, which is what a leader should be doing. Um, a lot of them, you know, I think this is very true in India as well. Like there's, you know, in, in, in an establishment class that really runs the nation. You know, the political polit political action committees, the big money donors, you know, again, consumerism, the big money in politics undermines politics. It's the one thing that can undermine it. And it's the one thing that's runs rampant. Um, so globally or on a, a macro level, you have leaders leading us in the wrong direction, uh, meaning they're not, say, taking climate change seriously or they're not honoring the uh, election or a number of issues, um, very political. But right. on, a, on a smaller scale, um, and so they're failing us in that way. To me, civic duty is very important. Like that should be a part of your life. We're, again, disconnected from the discourse, disconnected from... For instance, waste. Um, I know India creates a lot of waste. We create a lot of waste. Well, where does it go? We don't. We don't see it. It's out of sight, out of mind. And I think if people actually saw things, experienced it a little bit more, they would go, "Huh, yeah, we need to do something about that." Uh, and, and that's why there's a disconnection. Additionally, because we're out of sight, out of mind. We push it aside. And what do you do with things you don't want to deal with? You push it aside. Um, but on a smaller scale, um, and it's something I struggle with also, is, again, community, uh, being kind to the, the kid at the grocery store. You know, all these little experiences of kindness or acts of kindness are ripple effects because someone can be having a bad day and you can add to it, go, hurry up, or I'm busy. You know, everybody yeah. thinks it's about them. Um, and you just take a moment and you say, hey, thank you so much for that. I sincerely appreciate it. This makes a difference in someone's life who maybe isn't feeling so good. You know, the old line, everyone is fighting a battle you cannot see. Well, it's true. We all, once again, same thing with the character in the book, carrying our own baggage, having that negative voice. So if someone comes out and breaks us out of that, you know, we feel a little self-respect all of a sudden. We feel, oh, I do. I am worthwhile. And I think that's the trouble is we're made to feel unworthy, unworthy of love, unworthy of honor, uh, made to feel small when you look at the beautiful, successful people in the newspaper. Um, so the leadership, I'm not sure if they're actual leaders because a leader is supposed to be honorable. Right. With integrity, understand the needs of, of you know, the unit. Who could, lead? 
who could lead actually who can lead but a lot of it is just back and forth discourse um and obviously there's often a, a puppet master behind all this um pulling the strings so that interconnectedness gets severed and that's the scary part you know is it gets severed and the question is how do we reestablish it well we reestablish it at the ground level and you and me and, and other people say hey how are you today how are you doing how's your family can i help you with anything uh, again just little pieces and it's just it's a part of ourselves extending so to get back to fulfillment or success it's that self-expression love kindness how does it make you feel when you do something nice it makes you feel good you don't lose a piece of yourself you gain a piece of yourself absolutely 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 in fact you know earlier we read i uh, uh, you know that too many cooks spoil the broth now there are so many cooks and the cauldron is also very caustic you know so yes. everybody is cooking their own stuff in the same cauldron making it even deadlier and there are cooks which are growing in number uh but what is the you know i'll come to your other book also i want to come to that book but what do you see the future of all this because at the end of the day humanity and humanity and humans and human being as human beings have to be there and and how do they do that is it the only way that you realize that you are human and the person crossing the street is human and the child in a grocery store is also human and the person who is rushing for the same lift you know as both of you are in a hurry is also human and the lady who is crossing on the uh, crossing the street she is human is it the only way how do you see it dad well i'll answer this so though if you look at the news and you look at politics it's ugly it's scary it makes you feel horrible feel small powerless but if you look more locally there are more for instance uh there are more juice shops opening up organic restaurants opening up oh, uh, people doing more in that regard um so there's more community activism i think in that way people saying you know maybe we need to reevaluate and we often think it comes from the top down but it often starts from the bottom up that's where change happens is from the bottom up um so that's the thing that is encouraging you know for instance with the, the yes, pandemic indeed. um a lot of people leaving cities and there's all sorts of craziness with the housing market and the bubble and all these things but there's a real shift going on people saying hmm, i don't really want to work that many hours any longer maybe we can get by with less absolutely there's a website i don't remember what it's called um it's essentially about not buying uh it's sort of sharing and bartering and just kind of a, a free website and there are millions and millions of people on it now just saying hey don't buy because everything is very expensive right now right. or more expensive than usual supply line issues and labor issues so this website is about just bringing goods and services to people for free hey don't buy that you have an old chair well let's give it to this person he needs that so it's again interconnectedness and that's the the thing social media can bring right. is an interconnectedness that couldn't exist before so there's it's a messy world the social media but it can also do a lot of good so i think stepping back excuse me um from it if we step away from all the noise and there's a lot of noise and get back to there are changes taking place there are people trying to clean the oceans there are people coming up with devices um that you know eliminate the need for oil and need for 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 gas you know there's a lot of people innovation and it's not the government it's people 
who are doing it on their own dime, on their own interest, because they care. And that's where the ripple effects are. It's not, I'm expecting Joe Biden, who's 78, to come up with something. I you know, you know, he's not the mover and the shaker. He's not the next generation. He's not the innovator. Um, so it's these people who are trying to clean the ocean of plastics. Um, it's, you know, like there's so many people doing amazing things, planting. India just planted millions and millions of trees or saplings. It's fascinating. Changes the carbon footprint. Um, and so that, that alters the CO2 in the atmosphere. So like these are amazing things to me. It is scary. The glaciers are, are, are melting and that's... Uh, a challenge, obviously, and that will continue to raise sea levels and the temperature of the earth. Um, but I think there are a lot, a lot of people doing wonderful things. It's always the question is how do we connect to them? You know, for instance, there's a, a we live outside, just outside the, the Hudson River, a famous mm -hmm. old river, New York City, New York. Uh, runs basically down uh, the eastern side of New York. Hudson River is the river of hope. They, the the pilot put uh, what you call saved so many people. You know. Yes, so sir. You, about hope, you know, actually, we're talking about hope. You know, hope for everybody. That's very encouraging. Yeah, yes. carry on. I just no, no, and it's a beautiful story. And you know what's so fascinating about that is he took such risk. By yes. making his decision, if he had listened um, to air traffic control, he would have crashed. Yeah, right. Because yeah. they thought he had enough fuel or height to get to a, a, um, the New Jersey airport. He did not. Um, so it gives me chills thinking about it because talk about <laughs> heroism and just making this decision. <clears throat> but what's also fascinating about that story is it happened during the winter. And there weren't a lot of boats or ships on the Hudson River at that time. If there had been, there would have been hundreds. Miracle on the Hudson. It is a miracle indeed. So, you know, I think what happens, uh, AJ, is people ultimately, I don't care which side of the aisle you are on politically and or even what you think politically. I think people in general know right from wrong. They want to be good people. They want to be helpful people. Um, but it's the mind that gets polluted with, with racist ideas or hate or you can't trust this person because they believe in that. Or, um, it becomes this real severing of our true selves, which is, I think, love and a moral guidance. And this corruption of thought and belief that, again, you can't trust or you have to hate instead of love. But, you know, who are you hurting with hate? You're hurting yourself as well because you're carrying around um, this virus that eats at you. So, again, I think most people, and you probably could, can speak to this as well, I think really want to do well and be well and be honorable and honest. And it has nothing to do with your politics. Right, right, Doug. You are absolutely right. And, you know, talking about, you have also passed through a lot of tough times yourself, if I understand, and, and you know, your challenges and all. So, and, and perhaps heal yourself in the process. Uh, or, or, or I'm not sure about how exactly you did it, but can you share some part of it? The whole, my main question is that, uh, you are a writer. You you write. You have written several books. Can writing, you know, uh, lead uh, help me some help somebody heal in that whole process? So, just wanted to connect it with you. Uh, I remember Steven Spielberg uh, had said about movies. He said he never went to a psychologist because movies helped him heal, or writing movies helped him heal. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a process. Obviously, I'm not. You know, I'm better than I was. I'm lighter than I was. Um, writing can certainly help you get at things you didn't even know you were thinking. 
the more you kind of dive into ideas and stories and characters, um, the more you get at the cause or the root of, of an idea that is maybe plaguing you. But no, I've done a lot of work with healing, um, uh, meditations and uh, all sorts of, of healers. And, uh, but, you know, part of healing is you have to have the guts to look at where you're hurting. Oh. And, if, and if you're running away from what is harming you, what keeps kind of repeating, you're not going to move forward. You're going to be the same person you were 10 years ago, the same person you're going to be in 10 years. Um, because as Dr. Joe Dispenza says, it's a familiar past, meaning the ideas and stories you tell yourself are familiar. Therefore, you believe them because they seem like the gospel or they seem like truth. And if you don't change them, and a lot of them are just stories we tell ourselves. Well, my father didn't love me the way I needed to be loved. Uh, or my parents did this or that to me. Uh, and therefore, I'm never going to heal. Well, is that happening now? Did whatever happened to you 30 years ago, is that still happening now? No, but the loop is happening now. So, you know, the, the, the saying is, you know, we create thoughts that create emotions and those emotions create beliefs and those beliefs become personality. And the actions we take come from that. So, but if you start unraveling that, saying, yeah, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really seem like true and that's not helping me. That doesn't feel right. That's not who I want to be. You know, we often have conflicts between, again, this essence or this part that we're, you know, we want to become and these old sort of bricks around our neck that we're just dragging around everywhere. Go, hey, who wants to listen next time? Who wants to listen to my same old story? And it's just a story, a lot of it. It's a story we've taught ourselves. Okay, the world's a dangerous place. I'm not safe. I can't be vulnerable. I can't be, you know, but it's not true. A lot of this is just, you know, that self-made prison. Uh, and so, again, anything, you can unravel these knots. And you can say, this isn't who I want to be any longer. And so, again, meditation, uh, healing work, whatever you want to call it, um, can save your life. It can save your life. And writing too? Writing? Writing as well. You know, again, writing is this fascinating place. So a lot of people, so on a, on a parallel answer, a lot of people journal where they're stuck. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be in this place and I'm feeling bad. I, 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 you know, a lot of people live in that fight or flight life. Always, always ready to fight or run because they feel like everyone's out to get them. Well, Writing can help and journaling can help, right? A lot of people journal every day why they're feeling whatever. And it helps bring it out into the service, into the consciousness, instead of sort of that, that computer program of the subconscious, uh, subconscious. But writing is a fascinating process because I wrote uh, the story Narakon, The Cloak Deception. It was yes, a very strange thing because right, it kind right, of right. to me from another place. And it's really about the evolution of souls. And it really means is our evolution. Uh, expanding into that, you know, powerful realm in which we come from. And it's also a little bit about media corruption. Uh, and, and where does media get this information and who's behind all that? So, but the evolution of souls is you have, opposing forces you have one side trying to corrupt you and belittle you and keep you small and the other side trying to enhance you and and help you evolve into your best most powerful self and so essentially and in the story it's sort of like earth is a battleground for this in the dimensional realities of the soul. And so that's kind of what the story is. It's like, well, isn't that interesting? Because we all feel this tug of war within us. Um, and so that's what it's about, is that this uh, character who happened to actually be from another planet, but he doesn't know that. 
and he's born to a surrogate family actually to protect him from these dark forces that are hunting him down and want his want to corrupt him because if they can stop him they can stop the evolution of souls and plunge plunge the earth into eternal darkness and therefore stopping souls from evolving yeah it's a it's a fascinating you know storyline in fact i was about to ask but uh, it's good you mentioned you know about evolution of souls and you know everything around it but tell me this is the uh, you know in your story it's about somebody coming from outer space some other planet but when uh, people on the same planet they are also souls you know and why people especially when you are around whoever you are in close in family friends or even as society why do why there are several factors or personas or people around you who try to be not so good to you almost destroy you sometimes and then there are some people even strangers who try and do their best to save you how do you understand this in the backdrop of your you know book and story well you know again i mean people bring who they are to the table and you know if you're damaged you're going to damage someone else i mean the, the saying is hurt people hurt people uh and that's just how it goes and will go throughout time and so a stranger might be in a better place might see you clearly might be able to won't be maybe in that pain and say hey here's someone that i i, I like what this person's doing i'm, I'm going to help this person or honor this person so you know all that emotional baggage covers the soul covers that true intention it blocks the soul because it's scared of coming out and saying here i am because the emotional place especially when you're a child is scared and vulnerable so you're taught if you get injured you go oh i'm going to pull away from this i can get hurt here i'm going to hide this part of me but the problem with hiding the part of you it just hurts you right now this part that you want to get out oh the brain will say well yeah but i have to protect you here but you're not protecting me because the part of me that needs to flourish is being hidden by the ego so there are people in our family who they're damaged you know and there's a great line that i heard recently is like more people have killed dreams that love you than strangers ever could absolutely and so it's just and it's awful obviously the people closest to us are the ones that we're most vulnerable to we look to our parents or, or, or close you know siblings or relatives and we're when we're children we see them as almost gods reflecting back to us and so if they're reflecting back negatives or, or they're angry we interpret that as oh i must not be good enough and now here becomes the separation of my higher self and now my my lower self the ego mind the emotions are blocking this and saying oh no maybe you're not that and they start this narrative of oh i need to be small i need to play small here right right uh, talking of souls uh doug uh, do you believe in souls do i believe in souls yes of course you do because and the spirit you know, as well tell me about it that's that's nice well what i understand is this and you know uh is the spirit is the divine essence that always remains that always remains this higher place essentially with god or with you know the uh, universal consciousness the soul comes down to earth to experience to learn to grow but again it can in my opinion in my experience it can get trapped and that's why you have that longing right you have the long i want to be this i want to get there because you you've trapped yourself with the belief system that you can't get there you're not worthy whatever it might be but that soul no matter what continues to call out so in the story the narakon uh cloaked uh, in, in uh, the cloak deception right the, the soul is a beacon 
It is always an ever-present beacon. No matter how much negativity is put on there, darkness is put on it, it is still the beacon of light that is unbreakable. And that is what the dark forces are trying to essentially figure the code out to enter and break that beacon. And so as a writer, for you, how do you see love? How, if, if you have to, because you have written books around it, you know, you have characters who are in love. And so as a writer, how do you view love as a, as what, whatever love is? Well, love is many things, right? We often attribute it to romantic love, um, but it is a love of a father and a child, uh, of a child. It is the love of, uh, of a neighbor, not being in love, but seeing, say, a neighbor in need. Well, it's love and kindness and empathy that drives us to go help the neighbor, help someone whose car has broken down. Um, so love is a very curious thing because we often will deny ourselves love. Oh, I don't love me. But you love someone else. And again, it's a it's almost like we're able to like it's acceptable to love someone else, to help someone else. And then it's acceptable to deny yourself. Nah, I'm no good, I'm not worthy. That person's better. Um, but everyone's looking at you the same way. You know, everyone's always comparing themselves you think you're just comparing yourself to whomever but they're comparing to you as well and so love is the glue it is the absolute glue that holds it all together whether it's helping a neighbor a child or even trying to honor yourself saying you know i deserve love i'm gonna honor myself i'm doing something right now called the 100 day challenge that my wife and i came up with about how do I commit to me 100%, not in a selfish manner, in, an, in a fulfilling manner? Am I giving myself 100%? Am I honoring myself, loving myself 100%? And quite often, if we really look in the mirror, we're not. All right, I work today. I'm kind of tired. I'm just going to eat some pizza or whatever it might be um, and escape and do it again the next day. But is that really committing to me? Am I moving myself forward today? So. You know, reflecting back and saying, you know, I deserve love. I deserve actions of love. But if we all look at it in that way, you know, I'm not saying to give away all of our money or all of our resources or something. You obviously take care of yourself and whatever, but you still are trying to be kind and generous to people. Um, you know, for instance, if we're at a restaurant and we really like the waitress, you know, we give her some extra money. You know, it's okay. She needs it. You know, it's nice to be generous, um, to acknowledge people. Um, so that's love for me, is if we kind of come into the into the world with that mindset, you know, at the supermarket, um, hey, how can I make the world a little better here? That's love. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, you see, we talked about love, who have got love, hurt love, I know, fulfilled love. Then we got souls. Then we got interconnection. You know, and, and it is whole life, one life, or it can be many lives also. But if we take it as only one life, you know, with so much of things happening in your life and your life around, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there has to be an end of it. Your it, it is an end of your life. But what about the closure part? Whether you had a good life, or not so good life, whether you acknowledged it or did not acknowledge it, did not have the wherewithal to understand it, or just it been unfortunate. How does one find closure in all that stuff? In what? In, in knowing death and knowing that we're mortal? No, knowing death and, and closing the chapter, even if one has been unfortunate or it's been an unfulfilled life. Do you think it's going to be like a, a, a sort of a another meeting at another planet? I think when you, when you leave this plane, you're free of all of the suffering. 
and you go back to a pure divine consciousness. Do I believe in reincarnation? Yes. Um, I've seen too much to, to think otherwise. You know, again, we get trapped, and this is the tragedy, is we get trapped between here. We anticipate or, or interpret that someone else is going to do it, but we beat them to it. Oh, they're going to do this and that. And it's so curious what when the mind creates these narratives. Oh, and, and you know, say something is going to happen, or you think something is going to happen because you're going to an event and you know someone's going to treat you poorly, or your interpretation is that the mind is almost wrong every time. Almost wrong every time when it thinks something bad is going to happen or whatever it thinks. And so it traps us in this, and then we don't even acknowledge, oh, Hmm, I was wrong. The brain was wrong. So you have a lifetime of this then, right? Of starting when you're a kid and everyone's going to hurt you and you can't do this because you're going to get hurt. But again, it's just this story, this endless loop. And if you go through life like this, broken, basically, heartbroken, um, avoiding everything you might actually love and maybe a place you might thrive. You look back on life and it really, that's, that's a tragedy because you've created, you know, you can look at life as heaven or hell and it's how you look at everything be, makes life heaven or hell, right? You can look at uh, any event in any number of ways, but it's again, how you're interpreting it or how you're perceiving it or how you, you know, desire to think it about it. Is all up to you. I can say, oh, great, whatever ba uh, baseball team want. Oh, boo-hoo, another bit, you know, and how it affects you. Oh, good for them. They're an excellent team. Great. But it's any story, thousands of stories a day. Our brain is always trying to anticipate and tell you what it's going to be or not. And, again, it's wrong most of the time. So if you have a lifetime of that, and especially if it's a negative story think of how much disease you're causing yourself how much anguish and stress you're causing yourself um you know the autonomic nervous system is the the, the fight or flight we're in this stressful world we're often living in that not in the the parasympathetic you know which is a relaxed state mm. so we're always waiting for someone to fend someone off but it's mostly because of this that's causing this. So if you have a lifetime of this and they say, oh, AJ, he was just bitter because of something that happened 70 years ago. You know, that's there is a responsibility. And I think most people don't realize or maybe haven't learned right. that there are ways of healing and breaking these old patterns. Okay, your parents didn't give you this, or your sister did that to you, or some maybe horrific thing happened. Well, it's not happening now. It's only happening now in here. Okay. So this is where we have to learn how to break these patterns, let them go, put new patterns in, new thoughts. Um, that's not going to be who I am. I'm not going to be a victim to that. So you can change the outcome by changing where you are now. So. Uh, with meditation, with anything else, it's about the present moment. The past, you can't change the past. The future is sort of an unknown place. But you can change, the power is in the now. And so if you can change your outlook, you can change your future, you can change your, your, your life. If you remain stuck in that past, you're going to keep living that same past. So that's the tragedy, right? Is we all we create most of this ourselves so the power is in the not that's, the, that's that's our only time we think it's the past we think it's the future and we get trapped in these thoughts but the truth is you never live in the future you know you don't live in the past you live in the now and it's such a strange phenomenon that the brain right, kind of goes to the past or goes to this euphoric ideal future. It's all going to be great then. If I, 
just give me, you know, it's just going to be great in the future. Well, it's only going to be great in the future if you take care of the present. The present is where you can plant seeds for the future to grow. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Duck, uh, where can one find your books if they want to get, you know, such lovely books you have written? Well, thank you. You can find, uh, you can check out my website, DouglasRobbinsAuthor.com or, or Amazon. You can find, you know, you got to type in Douglas Robbins Author and, you know, Love in a Dying Town, the uh, Narakon, The Cloak Deception, which I will have a couple follow-up books uh, on in the coming years. But yeah, Amazon's a great uh, resource for, for finding my books. Great. Great. And and you you also do a podcast, you know, The Den of Discussion. Can you tell something about us? There are a lot yes, of opinion. Yes. No, happy to. Thank you uh, for asking. It's it's about really anything that touches the human condition. And so initially I started with writing and publishing and maybe, you know, mental health a bit, depression. A lot of writers, you know, struggle with depression, um, as I certainly have, you know, more in the past. But it's really about anything that touches the human condition um, and how people who are moving the ball forward. Again, we talk about leadership. Well, again, this starts at the ground level. Um, so we've had on uh, attorneys who, who understand the courts. I've had on uh, financial people. I've had um, just had a brilliant uh, uh, a uh, writer on yesterday who had been very depressed and struggling, and then he had sort of a, a massive awakening and all sorts of information uh, coming to him. So a lot of spiritual creative uh, types on the show, writers on the show. Um, again, it's really just about anyone who's trying to improve humanity and move it forward to help us all evolve. So, you know, again, the interconnectedness, we all help each other move forward. Um, so that's kind of what it is, the den of discussion, really anything that touches the human condition um, and illuminates that. Right. Absolutely right, Doug. And in fact, I'll put all the details in the description on YouTube so that people can access to your book as well as, you know, uh, to your podcast whenever they need to. Thank uh, you. With, yes. Uh, with this, we've got talk so much, you know, and, and, and I would say that, uh, in fact, I, I only see how much is left out. Uh, uh, so it's, 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 it's been a great discussion, great knowing, and at the end of the day, human beings, however aloof or afar they are from each other, but the fact is that they have to realize if they have to, you know, exist, is that they are interconnected. Right. We're all then here together, right? We are all here together, and there is only one one word: Earth, and Mars is far, far away. With this, <laughs> yes, it is. yes, and, too far. And, yeah, too far. And with this, you know, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Dad. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Asia. Yes, let's all take care of each other and our world here. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, my friend. Be well.